welcome to the Hiking Through Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Hiker, long-distance hiking trails. Planning your next multi-day backpacking adventure? Have you been searching the web for information to help you on your trip? Or are you just trying to decide on the trail? Hiker has compiled the world's best multi-day and long-distance hiking trails into one easy-to-use platform. Hiker, that's H-I-I-K-E-R, is a mobile and web application that is designed for hikers by hikers. Yeah, that might sound cliche, but they're a team of hikers dedicated to providing users as much information as possible to discover, plan, and navigate their next backpacking adventure. The app will give you camping and accommodation information, resupply and amenity coordinates, and even some history about the area you're traveling through. And of course, this is all available totally offline to help save your battery life while out on the trail. Download Hiker now for free from your app store, or head to Hiker, that's H-I-I-K-E-R, dot app to discover over 600 trails in the U.S., plus many, many more around the world. When I was hiking through the 100-mile wilderness, I started writing interludes into my journal entries and so it would be like interlude we talked about making squirrel gravy today and those little snippets like that I had forgotten about and they are hysterical they are awesome and it just reminds me of those days because I can picture all of us either hiking or sitting around talking about those things Welcome. I'm Erin Egan, and you've probably noticed that the format of this podcast has changed from its original heavier focus on gear to a greater emphasis on stories and experiences. We're focusing on the inspiration and the perspiration. And today's guest is Ginger Snap, known off trail as Sam Lee. She prepped for this conversation by pulling out the old journals from her 2012 AT through hike, which brought the memories flooding back. Memories of the hundred mile wilderness and hiking in a dress, and the oh-never-to-be-forgotten Lyme disease. In this episode, she grants us a little window into the trials and tribulations of a thru-hike, and the absolute pure joy of it all, reminding me how the things that terrify us are exactly the things we need to do the most. You can find this episode and all previous episodes at hiking-thru.com. You can also find us on Apple Podcast and all the other podcast places. Enjoy my conversation with Ginger Snap. Welcome to the podcast, Sam. Thank you. I'm so glad that you reached out because you have some stories to tell, apparently. (laughs) I do. I do. (laughs) Yes. Now... You did the AT back in 2012, right? Yep, eight years ago. So just one one quick question for you, in so mm-hmm. much as a lot of people, even if they've done the trails or, or through hike the trails quite a while ago, they'll still kind of put it in the like their social media or social uh, Instagram or whatever descriptions. But for you, there was like no 
word of it. Like you're, you're under the radar here. Yeah. And that's, it's kind of intentional. I figure. Um, yeah. My, the heading of mine is, uh, it's a quote that nothing great was ever achieved without enthusiasm. And Ralph Waldo said that. And I just, there's not a whole lot about me at all mm-hmm. in the little heading other than that. And it's yeah. just, I figure if you scroll through my pictures, eventually you'll see something <laughs> about what I do. <laughs> yeah. And so I've, I mean, I guess there's little emojis that you can kind of like put stuff together, but those are fun. So why not? <laughs> <laughs> you, you need to, you need to dig a little in order to, to find all the stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But that's also, I think, I don't typically, I love talking about the trail. I love talking about backpacking, hiking, gear, but in normal conversation with people, I also don't just bring up that I've through hiked. It's not something I usually just say, yeah, I've, I've backpacked a lot or things like that. I'm not like, yeah, I'm a seasoned hiker who's done this, this, and this. It's just not in my nature. Is that all it is or is there more to that? Um, I think it's a combination of both. Sometimes it's really nice to have that background and be able to offer that to people and give advice when they ask for it. But I try not to just be like, well, this is what backpacking is and this is what you have to do with it. So you can't do anything else if that makes sense that's a very roundabout answer. And then there's also some people have not responded positively to like hearing trail stories. So I don't like to push it onto people. What do you, what do you mean? I, I, sorry. I, I said, I know I sound amazed, but. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it, um, I am also amazed by it because I love everything outdoors. I think, I don't know. I've, I've been asked questions and then other people in a group have kind of been like, well, we don't want to hear about that, but they've said it under their breath so that only I can hear it. And so I don't like to project, but when people ask, I will talk your ear off about it. Right. Well, aren't we lucky then? Because I'm about to ask (laughs) all of the questions. (laughs) Yes, please. (laughs) One of the postings, one of the few postings that you do have on like Instagram about the trail and about your experience on the trail is talking about Lyme disease. Mm-hmm. Did yes. you get Lyme disease on the trail or did you have it before the trail and then you just have to manage it on the trail? I contracted it on trail. Okay. Um, I had the tick in New Jersey and then about two weeks, I guess it was, might've been a little bit more than two weeks. We were in Great Barrington, Massachusetts, and I found the bullseye and I immediately lost it. I was like, I can't, I can't stop. I've come this far and went to the doctor, went to the emergency room and the doctor, I'll never forget this. I was sitting on the bed and the doctor was like, well, you're going to want to take some time off because you're going to feel like you were hit by a train tomorrow. And I laughed. I was like, no, I won't. Not a thing. Not going to happen. And he was like, no, no, really. (laughs) That'll happen. 
And backstory, as I was walking to to the hospital, this amazing elderly couple saw me wandering around Great Barrington, picked me up, took me to the hospital. They were also going to the hospital because the husband had just found out that his brain cancer was in remission. And so it was a follow-up, which was just incredible to me. And then as I was leaving the hospital, the couple was leaving the hospital. And so then they took me in and my hiking partner and our trail family for the night and did our laundry. We played cards. They fed us. And they were just this incredible couple. I loved them. And my hiking partner at the time is from the UK. And so he had a visa deadline. And so we couldn't, like, I couldn't stop hiking. We had, at that point, we had to do between 16 and 24 miles a day in order to get to Katahdin before his deadline. Okay. That's a lot of variance in the mileage in order to reach someplace. (laughs) Yeah. So if we didn't take, I think we could take like two zeros or something like that. And we could do lower or higher mileage. But if we took more zeros, no lower mileage. And then if we took more zeros, we had to do higher mileage. And so, yeah, we kept hiking. I really do not remember hiking through the rest of Massachusetts and the first part of Vermont because the Lyme disease and the doxycycline ruined my body and just, it ruined me. Um, I couldn't eat. (laughs) And when you're hiking, eating is very important. Yeah. And so I would set a goal for myself that I had to walk like a hundred steps and then I could lay down and then I'd lay down on the trail and then I was allowed to count to 60 three times and then I had to get back up and walk a hundred more steps. Wow. So the train did come and hit you. Yeah. Oh yeah. It flattened me. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And it, we we did lower our mileage, even though we we really probably shouldn't have, because I physically couldn't walk 24 miles. We were still doing 16, 17 miles, and I do not recommend that. I while fighting I Lyme disease. Con- <laughs> yeah, if I were ever to get Lyme disease again while doing a through hike, I would get off trail for a week or two. Yeah, but I and then I would call my parents crying and they'd be like, just keep going. You can do it. (laughs) Yep. How long Uh after you saw the bullseye did you start feeling that side effect or the effects of it? Uh, 48 hours. Oh, man. But the funny thing is, is like leading up to when the bullseye showed up, I felt off. And like, Mm -hmm. so I reread my trail journals this year, which was really cool. And in the trail journals, I'm like, wow, the mountains are getting bigger and I'm out of shape. And it's like, you've hiked over a thousand miles and not (laughs) out of shape. (laughs) But at that time, that was my only rationale. I didn't realize I had Lyme disease till the bullseye showed up. And so everything leading up to that is like, man, it was hard today. (laughs) And it's like, well, yeah, no kidding. Hindsight and all that. Oh, Yeah. So how long did the train pass through or was that literally the rest of the trip or the rest of the hike? No, thank goodness. So I was sick. Let's see. I felt off 
until about Hanover, New Hampshire. And then I started to feel better, but I definitely was very calorie deprived. And then my uncle suddenly passed away. And so I had to go home for the funeral. And that I took four days off for that. And in that time period, my hike, um, hiking partner's name is Lewis. Lewis decided he was going to go back to the UK and I was going to go back to the trail by myself. And so it was a whirlwind of like three and a half weeks. Wow. So he didn't yeah. decide to just keep, continue hiking and get to the end. He just cut it and, and mm-hmm. went. Okay. Yeah. So my parents were kind of like his American parents while he was here and they had offered to like, if he kept going, they would make another trip up to Katahdin to pick him up and bring him back. But he wanted to go home and see the birth of his niece. Mm. And so he, he went home and surprised his family. Got it. Okay. Mm -hmm. So are you still having, uh, what is it? Are you still having are still feeling effects from Lyme disease? Um, occasionally. So I can't eat wheat anymore. And we, I'm not sure if the only thing that I can trace it back to is the Lyme disease because I didn't have any issues before the Lyme disease. And so for about a year afterwards, I didn't eat dairy or wheat and I can do dairy again, but wheat still gives me issues. And then sometimes, so Lyme disease, typically affects bigger joints like your knees, your elbows. But for me, it was my neck and my fingers. And so, yeah. And so occasionally my fingers will still hurt. Okay. Do you, but go, go ahead. I was going to say, if that's all I have as a side effect, I will take it. Cause I can still like, I still live the life that I want to live. Right. You're still very active and you do a lot Mm -hmm. of hiking and all of that. Yes. A friend of mine had Lyme disease and he has issues with sodium deficiency. And (laughs) he basically has meals that are sodium with something that is a vehicle for ingestion. (laughs) Oh, wow. Um, And I was wondering if you had issues with that. Nope. Okay. I do not. Interesting. Mm Mm-hmm. And some people, after they have Lyme disease, there's like a very specific strand that then you become allergic to meat. Oh, oh, that would be yeah, bad. Yeah, so I'm really glad that that is not my case. Yeah, that would be that would be a really sad day for me. <laughs> <laughs> me too. <laughs> so, so you get Lyme disease, you struggle through it, mm-hmm. and then you come off trail for your uncle's funeral. Mm-hmm. You're, you head back to the trail. You have, I think it was like 500 miles left. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And now you're yep. on your own because I'm assuming your tramley kept going. Your hiking partner is now left. How was yes. that? So when I went back, I was at the Southern end of the whites. And so I went through the whites by myself. I mean, there were people around me, mm-hmm. but I was hiking by myself. And I think that that was the perfect way to go back. <laughs> so number one, I had amazing weather. It didn't rain once when I was in the white, which is rare. Like when my original trail family went through, it rained every day. And so 
in a way, I'm kind of glad that I had to get off trail. I mean, I'd rather my uncle still be here, but like I had spectacular views. And so I was able to process everything that had happened up until that point on the trail in the whites. And I was by myself. So there was no outside influence. And then I just carried on and found a new trail family. Okay. Did you, were you actively searching for a new trail family or did you sort of just fall into one as you were hiking and found people? Yeah, I just fell into one. So just outside of the whites, I had hiked with two people for a little bit. And then there were a group of guys who I kind of, I was in and out of their tramp family, but then I really found another one entering the hundred mile wilderness and it could not have been a better combination of people. One of the guys and I had hiked together since maybe the New Hampshire main border. And then two other folks came and joined us and it was a magical group. We, I mean, we're still friends. They came to my wedding. And so I, I love those guys. What made it so magical? Well, it's the 100-mile wilderness, so we're, the trip is almost over at that point. And then our personalities really complement each other. And we're just a goofy, goofy group. And so it was a lot of fun. And then we were all malnourished and hungry. <laughs> and um, like one of the guys started selling like cat pee, which means that his body is burning his muscle yeah. instead of fat. And... uh <laughs> And it was just a ridiculous time. And then they were, they summited two days before me. And so they had to hike on and I ended up taking a zero day in the hundred mile wilderness. And we, we were supposed to separate like four days earlier, but we just couldn't do it. So I kept hiking more miles and they kept hiking less miles. And then eventually we got to the point I think it was like 10 miles from a ball bridge that we were like, all right, we really do have to part ways now, which is sad. We have to hike our own hikes. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. And then we did a reunion hike last September and we finally got to summit Katahdin together. Nice. Yeah. It was really cool. How much of the, how much, how many miles was the reunion hike? Um, I think it was just over a hundred, maybe like 110 115, something like that. So, yeah, a few days. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it yep. always it always amazes me. You talk about the miles, and when you think about the miles in pure numbers, it feels very long or sounds very long. And then when you talk about people actually doing the hiking and how long it's taking them to cover 100 miles, 200 miles, whatever, and it just is astounding how far you can get on your own two feet and how fast you can do it. It's incredible. I love it. My feet are my favorite mode of transportation. (laughs) I, I, it's so true because it really is incredible. Like, Oh yeah, I went out and hiked this many miles and anymore. It's not so much about the miles, but like, it's still incredible. Like your brain is so powerful. You can talk yourself in and out of a lot of things. And if you want to hike the miles, you can talk yourself into it. <laughs> Unless it's you're uh, fighting Lyme disease and laying on the trail and counting to 63 <laughs> times. <laughs> yeah. Yep. But hey, 
I, I got it. <laughs> that is true. That is true. How, I, I guess, circling back to that, how did you get it done? I mean, I know that there was the, the plan of I hike this and then I can lay down and recover and hike. But, but as you say, like, it's, it's all about your mind at that point. So Mm -hmm. where was your mind? How was your mind? What did you do with your mind? (laughs) (laughs) Um, My mind was not good. If it would not have been for my support system, I don't think I could have talked myself into it. Um, Like Lewis was amazing. It got to the point where he was helping me cook dinner because I would get to camp and I would set up my tent and I'd go in and sleep. He would cook my dinner and then he'd have to watch me eat it because I wasn't hungry, but he knew I needed calories. And so he would watch me eat it. I'd eat half and then he'd eat the other half. And then I'd go back in my tent and go to bed. And then the next day we would repeat the process. And then I'd call my parents and they'd give me words of encouragement. And then there was one day we took a Nero and it was in Vermont. And it was after you come up and over Killington And I was just sitting on the hotel room floor and I was like, I want to go home. (laughs) And Lewis was like, no, you're not going home. That's not an option. And I was like, no, it it really is an option. (laughs) And he would, he wouldn't allow it to be an option. He was like, what are you going to go do? Lay on a couch? And I was like, yes. (laughs) That sounds amazing. (laughs) Yeah, that is exactly what I'm going to do. And he was like, no, you can do it. You can keep hiking. (laughs) And then the next day we kept going. So I really, a lot of the success of hiking through Lyme disease goes to my support crew. It it seems like at some point you, it's almost like you, you relied on your support crew, but you also sort of turned your brain off because your Mm -hmm. brain could have talked you out of it on so, uh, so many occasions and so forth. So it's, you know, you just. You follow the the white blazes. You follow Lewis's. Nope, get up, keep moving, eat eat one more spoonful, so forth. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Oh yeah. And I lost a ton of weight. I I'm mean, sure. I looked really unhealthy by the end of it. Just and I was like a lot of people do lose weight on the trail, but I had done a good job of maintaining the whole way until Lyme disease. And then I lost like 10, 12 pounds in just over a week. Whew. Yeah, it was, it was a lot. Wow. I, you could see all of my ribs by the time I was done with the hike. It was not a good look. <laughs> Did you, like, I think in the, I would imagine that in the, the immediacy of the Lyme disease is where you lost most of the weight if not all of the weight, mm-hmm. and then we're able then potentially maintained, even though it was at an unhealthy weight, but it maintained through to the end? Or were you basically at that point just continuously losing weight all the way through to the end? No, I think it was just during the Lyme disease, and then I was able to maintain it. I think I might have even gained a pound or two once I started eating again. Was there anything that, like in your eating, that was more appetizing than other Pringles and uh, pistachios (laughs) the two peas (laughs) yeah and then I wanted fresh fruit but that's really hard to carry yeah so 
Um, I'd only eat that in town, but those were like the big three. That's all I wanted. And you basically just carried as many Pringles and pistachios and whatever that you could and then stuffed down the rest of it? Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> Sour cream and onion Pringles and original. Those are the only two. Uh, you got to you gotta follow your taste buds. Yeah, which is funny because in, in normal life, I'm not a, a Pringles fan. <laughs> well, now I can't even eat them because they have wheat in them. But like right. before that, I was not a Pringles eater. <laughs> So I don't know why I wanted Pringles. And it wasn't other chips. It was specifically Mm -mm. Pringles. Mm Mm-hmm. Huh. Yep. Okay. Go figure. Yeah. How was the trail for you before the Lyme disease? It was good. It was great. It was a lot of fun. We, so I should, when we were in North Carolina, the North Carolina, Tennessee area, my grandmother passed away. And so we also had to go home for that. But between my grandma passing away and the Lyme disease, it was great. It was spectacular. It was everything that I had hoped the AT would be and more. Tell me more. <laughs> um, well, oh gosh, where do you even begin? We, so I'm originally from Pennsylvania. So when we got to Pennsylvania, we were, and I live, 30 minutes. I used to live 30 minutes from the AT. And so we got to slack pack part of the AT. And then when it was in the hundreds, we went to the beach for the day. And then we, I really loved Virginia. Virginia's long. It's like 500 miles or something like that. But I, Virginia is beautiful and it has rolling hills. It has views you have the green tunnel, you have the wildlife. There was, I was hiking along. And at that point we were hiking around somebody who had a chocolate lab. And I saw this black thing running down the mountain at me. And I thought that it was the dog. And I thought it was Lewis and sunshine playing a prank on me, but it turns out that it was a bear cub, (laughs) (laughs) which is terrifying because I, I still don't know where mom was, but I didn't see her. So I just booked it out of there. And that was really cool. And um, bear cubs are cute, very cute, but I wouldn't want to pet it or hold it. And we saw a lot of bears in Virginia to the point where Lewis decided to teach me how to defend myself with my trekking pole if a bear ever attacked me. And then we saw a bear and he looked at me and he was like, this is, this is way too high of a skill set for a beginner. Leave it to me. <laughs> And I was like, all right, Lou. And just us talking scared the bear away. But little did Lewis know that him, that those conversations, so many years, in 2016, I was charged by a moose and I hit it with my trekking pole and it ran away. And so in a way that kind of prepared me for that very moment. Okay. So how did Mr. Lewis from the UK know how to deal with a bear? Oh, he did. Well, okay. We worked at a summer camp together Ah. that is named Bear Creek Camp. Okay. And yeah. And so he had spent two or three summers prior to us hiking together in America in a location that has black bears. Okay. So he has some training or some education about it. Oh, yeah. But I would never go with his caveman style to hit a, <laughs> hit 
Because it was like full-on caveman. Like he would throw it like a javelin and he would practice into tree stumps. Oh, and then Lord. if he'd miss the tree stump. Yeah, no, it was, this is what he would do while we wait for hitches. Was practice <laughs> his bare javelin throwing technique. It seems a little sketchy. I got to say. Oh, yeah. Yes, absolutely. But the trekking pole did save me from the moose. So I, I, he had to have been onto something. Right. But did you javelin it or did you? Uh, no, I, I hit it. Like I flicked my trekking pole out at it and it swung up and hit it in the chin. So you, and so it, you startled it basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or surprised it. But at yeah. that point it was fairly close. Oh yeah. Yes. Yes. It was way too close for comfort. I startled it and it startled me. So it was just a, a bad combination. Right. And so as it's charging you and you flick it with your pole, what was your second plan if that did not work? Um, so the right side of the trail was thick brush and the left side was, it kind of opened up a little bit more. And I knew that the moose was too big to really get through the brush. So my plan was, I was, uh, leaning against the down tree. And so my plan was to flip myself over the log because realistically, I don't think the moose would have been able to jump the log because it would have ended up in really thick bushes. Whereas I was much smaller and could kind of like worm down into the bushes. But when I hit it, it veered off to the left and went out into the more open forest. And then I ran the rest of the way to the car. Ran the <laughs> Yeah, I was terrified. <laughs> so this was on a day, a more like a day hike type of thing. Yeah, the mm-hmm. yeah, and it was a really sketchy day because the like a mile before the moose, I had a really odd encounter with an archery hunter, and so I was already on edge. And then the moose happened, and I was just done. I ran the rest of the way to car and went home. <laughs> You you took the signs and just said, okay, we're done for the day. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> what? How old were you when you did the AT? I was 24. Okay. So a little bit out of college. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. I graduated college in 2011 and then through hiked in 2012. But I had known... That I was going to, like, I had wanted to through hike. I um, had been saving, like, I worked extra jobs in undergrad to be able to save for the through hike. What inspired you to want to do the through hike? There was a couple different things. My growing up so close to the AT, it was always there. And then the summer camp that I worked for, I led backpacking trips on the AT. And so I wanted to, once I saw through hikers, I was like, that sounds pretty cool. And then I was in a not so healthy relationship. And I knew that if I through hiked, that that would end that relationship. And so it was kind of the perfect storm to make it happen. And then I was kind of on the fence about doing it and I got home from work and I had an email from Lewis and he was like, Hey, do you want to travel together? Let's do the AT. <laughs> and then the rest is history. 
I, I love, I, I mean, I guess the through hike is traveling, but it's not what I would traditionally call traveling. <laughs> no, no, me, me either. <laughs> he had, we, him and I together had led a backpacking trip on the AT. And so that's how he kind of had ex- a very brief exposure to it in like, I don't know, 2010, 2009, somewhere in there. So you knew about it, you'd heard about it, you you planned for this, you get to Springer Mountain, and you're ready to go. How are you feeling? Terrified. My, yeah, so my Springer experience was really cool. My dad and brother drove us down to Georgia because my aunt and uncle live maybe two hours from Springer. And so then my uncle... My dad, my brother, Lewis, and I all walked to Springer together. So we drove up to the parking lot and then hiked to it. Like, I didn't go up the falls. And it was a really awesome send-off. And then I was pretty nervous and excited. And I there was never any doubt in my mind that I wouldn't make it to Katahdin, but at that point you're so fresh and so new that you really don't know. And so you just keep moving forward. And the more miles you put in, then the more comfortable you feel. And then somewhere along the line, you're like, yeah, I'm through hiking. I'm doing this. But I don't remember when that happened. What terrified you the most about it on that first day? Leaving my family. That was, I went to undergrad only an hour and a half from home. And so I got to see my family whenever I wanted. And this was going to be the longest I had gone. And so there was definitely some homesickness that was going into it. And then like, as I'm walking away from my dad, he's like, now walk home. Better walk (laughs) home from here. (laughs) Like, all right, dad, I will walk home. So that's cool. I can say that I've literally walked home from Georgia. Yeah, not many people get to say that. No. (laughs) Did it kind of feel like you were walking home? Or that was just a, a cute saying to carry with you? I think it was just a cute saying to carry with me. It was just my dad being my dad made me chuckle. But when we, so we, I forget what shelter we stayed at the first night, but when we walked up, there was this group of guys sitting in the shelter and they looked at me. They didn't even say hello to either of us, but they looked at me and they were like, so how did he talk you into doing this? And, and Lou looked at them and he was like, um, not my idea, her idea. And we're not a couple. (laughs) And the guys just were like, girls don't like, they couldn't believe that it was my want to do the trail, which I thought was odd. Were you really that surprised? <laughs> I am, uh, I guess, I guess not. I mean, now when I see people through hiking, I do see a lot more females, but yeah. I, I guess I shouldn't have been that surprised, but it did catch me off guard. Cause I was like, I can do this too. You are not the only person who's able to do this because you're a man. That's not how this works. Other people can do it. Did you run into that a lot as you were hiking? 
Nope. That was the okay. only time. I will say I, I did get sick of hiking with guys. And so I started wearing a dress to make me feel more feminine. <laughs> what do you mean? Um, I just got, I don't know. Hiking with Lewis and all of the boys, I was like, I need, I need to feel like a girl for a moment here. And so I bought a dress in Virginia and hiked the rest of the way north in the dress. The rest of the way, huh? Yeah. And I actually hiked in a dress or a skirt up until this past December. And I only recently switched back to wearing shorts. So what was it that you were wanting to get back in touch with? Maybe my feminine side, the side of me that likes to get quote unquote dressed up. Cause even my dressed up is very casual. I mean, you're dirty all the time. And then even when you are in town and you shower, you're showering, a, you're sharing a shower with other filthy hikers. <laughs> and so the shower isn't even clean unless you're the first person in, but I also love being dirty. So I, I haven't quite figured out myself what made me want to be more in touch with my feminine side because I truly love, like I love when I take off my socks after a hiking trip and there's a dirt tan line that brings me pure joy. And then when I get down to my toes and I can see like all of the dirt that came through my shoes because I hike in trail runners, I, uh, it brings a smile to my face. I love it. Did you see many other women on the trail back in 2012? I can think of six other women. Really? Wow. I would say maybe 10. Um, there definitely wasn't a lot. And that doesn't mean there weren't a lot out there. But I also had the cool experience because I had to get off trail twice. I hiked in or around a lot of different bubbles. And so I can only remember six to 10, but that doesn't mean that I didn't run into more. Right. Memory is a, is a uh, faulty thing sometimes. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. I was gonna say, as I was rereading my trail journals, it was funny. I took notes in great detail at the end of each day. And so as I was reading it was like, oh my gosh, I forgot about this. This is awesome. <laughs> and then there were other things that I was like, oh, I forgot that that was hard. Like in looking back, that really wasn't hard <laughs> that particular day or whatever. What in rereading your journals, like what was one of those moments where you're like, oh my God, I forgot about that. That was so amazing. So I had, um, when I was hiking through the 100 mile wilderness, I started writing interludes into my journal entries. And so it would be like interlude. We talked about making squirrel gravy today. And those little snippets like that, I had forgotten about. And they are hysterical. <laughs> they are awesome. And it just reminds me of those days because I can picture all of us either hiking or sitting around talking about those things. And then like we went to White House Landing in the 100 Mile Wilderness, which is an area where you blow an air horn, they come and get you, and then you can eat, and then they'll bring you back. And I think things have changed a little bit since 2012. But one of my interludes was Count hurt his ear hole today because he blew it but didn't cover his ear, and so it hurt his ear. But that's the way I phrased it in the journal. 
And I vividly remember him saying it that way. <laughs> and so it's cool to see those types of things. So when you, so was your j- journal paper? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you're writing your journal and you're kind of taking general notes about the day, how hard or easy or whatever that the day was. And then what you're considering to be your interludes are like sort of verbatim notes of something or? No, they're just, they have nothing to do with what I was writing about. It would just be like hiked up the Bigelow's today. And then there would be like, I'd leave a line blank and then there'd be interlude and then insert whatever random. And it wouldn't have even happened when I was on the, in the Bigelow's just something random. And then I'd skip a line and then be like, it was beautiful. There were blue skies. I saw ladybugs (laughs) or like whatever. (laughs) And I had forgotten that I did that. And I really truly do not understand why I did that, but I did. And it's awesome. (laughs) In retrospect, it was a really good choice. Yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And I guess on the other side of that, do you remember like one of those days where you were noting that it was so hard, but now you're thinking that it wasn't as hard? Yeah. On the days where we had to hike through rain, I mean, there was a day in northern Vermont where it had rained quite a bit, and the trail was up to about mid-shin, anywhere between your ankle and mid-shin of just a flowing creek. And that day hiking seemed hard, but looking back, I'm like, it really wasn't that hard. Like, it it really truly wasn't you're still moving forward and the air and everything was warm enough that your feet weren't going numb like it could have been significantly worse than what it was so it was more but i thought it was hard uncomfortable mm-hmm. yeah got it but isn't through hiking uncomfortable yeah yeah so it it's all perspective how did you find your perspective changing over the course of the hike or after the hike, even. It's very interesting. So during Lewis, there's a lot of talk about mileage and how much mileage we have to do. And then after Lewis got off, there's a lot more of, I can't believe I get to do this. This is amazing. It just totally shifted. And that's not to say that my the first 1,600 miles weren't incredible because they were. Um, it's just, they're two very different hikes. And I hadn't realized that until I reread my journals. And it's very clear. You can see it in my writing. Um, And then post-trail, I think I am a very resilient person now, extremely resilient. And I'm sure I, I always had some resiliency to me, but I feel like it's even more prominent now. And I think I can keep things in perspective a little bit better than what I used to be able to. Why do you think that? Um, Cause when you're, when you're out there, it's such a simple life. All you have to do is get up, eat, walk, sleep and have fun. And yes, there's like, you have those very, basic needs of food and water. And there's times where you do run out of water and there might not be water for a little while, but 
it's, it's, you're just meeting your basic needs and that's wonderful. It's great. Cause you don't have to worry about what setting your alarm so that you're not late for work the next morning or whatever everyday life worries are. And then I think for me, I was really reminded that like life is precious and to not take it for granted because I did lose two people very close to me while I was out there. And so that if I was going to lose two people that close in time, I wouldn't have picked a better year for myself because I was able to process that through walking. It's pretty cool that like anybody could do it. It's just if you want to or not. It's it's the mind. It's about the mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I do understand that not everybody is able-bodied. Like I do, I very much understand that. Did you feel, you know, when your uncle and your grandmother died, did you, 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 you had the grief, I'm sure, definitely. But did you also mm-hmm. maybe feel a little guilty for not being there? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Um, especially with, so my grandma, I was able to go home. I had gone home for about a week and spent a week with her. And then it looked like she was kind of turning a corner and everything was going to be okay. And also my grandmother was 96. So she, she had lived a really good life. And then about a week after being out there, she had passed away again. And it was another one of those, like I, we had been in hot springs, North Carolina. Lewis had had the neurovirus. And then the day we hiked out, I got the neurovirus. And so all night long, I was getting out of my tent and was sick as a dog. And, and then the next morning I woke up and called my dad and was like, I'm very fatigued. I have nothing in my system. I can't keep anything in my system. And he's like, well, grandma passed away this morning. (laughs) And so then we turned around and went back to hot springs and flew home. But my journal entry from being sick is absolutely hilarious because it goes into, it's like, it goes into detail about like, how I had thrown the toilet paper, but it rolled down this mountain and it's sleeting and snowing. And I have to like waddle after it while going to the bathroom and puking. It is so funny. Sometimes ever since I've reread it, I have forced my husband to listen to it countless times because (laughs) it cracks me up. (laughs) How's he enjoy it after the umpteenth million time? Uh, I think he just giggles because every time I read it at the end of it, I'm like, I'm funny. Uh, this is funny. And he's just like, oh, my gosh. Yes, you're funny. What you wrote is funny. Yes. I think at this point, it's just to humor me. Right. right. Yes, honey. You are funny. Yeah. 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 And then that morning, and that's one of those moments where, like, that was hard. And But looking back, it is hysterical. Like, what else are you going to do? It, I never take it for granted having a toilet and a bed again, like <laughs> never and running water. It's great. They're wonderful things to have when you're ill. Yeah. Oh, yes. It's sort of like the absurdity of it all. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was ridiculous. 
being on the trail. Okay, actually, before I before I go really deep, I want to circle back around to this story that we sort of DM'd back and forth because <laughs> I gotta understand this. Yes. What the uh, hell? So <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, so I surrounded my tent with human poop leaves and didn't know it. <laughs> and that was one of those days that I was sick with Lyme disease, but didn't know it. And so I rolled into camp like two hours after everybody else got there because I was moving pretty slow. And I set up my tent and they were calling for rain. And there's this theory that, and I was in a dirt patch because I got the last tent site. And there's this theory that if you put leaves and things around your tent, when it rains really hard, the splashback, you won't get as much splashback because it won't just turn right. to mud. The leaves will soak in. And so that was my theory. I was like, I know it's going to rain. I'm in a dirt patch. The only other time my tent had leaked was in a similar situation. And then I was on the floating island of my um, sleeping pad. <laughs> And so, and I wanted to avoid that. So I surrounded my tent with the leaves, went and purified water, broke my water purifier because I had one of those hand pump ones, which I cannot, like, technology has become amazing in the eight years since the Viking. Um, the handle broke, so I couldn't purify water. Thankfully, somebody let me borrow their purifier, got that, and then the mosquitoes were so bad that I was doing what you should never do, which is cook inside your tent. But before I started cooking, I'm inside my tent and I, I started to smell poop. And I was like, what the heck is going on? And I got out of my tent and kind of like walked away and I couldn't smell it anymore. And I did this like three or four times. And I was like, what, what this? And it wasn't, it clearly wasn't dog poop. Like it was human poop that I was smelling. Checked my shoes. And so then I, I called a couple people over and I'm like, can you please verify that I'm smelling poop? And so after like 30 minutes, we finally figured out that the leaves I had picked up, somebody had pooped un under them, put them on top of it. And then with the rain, the poop must have like melted into the surrounding leaves. And they had to have burned their toilet paper because there was no toilet paper or they didn't use toilet paper and used the leaves. and. We still don't know how I didn't have poop on my hands. And then I used my trowel and a stick and picked the leaves back up and put them back in the woods and just said I'd have splashback. <laughs> and then I was cooking in my tent, knocked the boiling water over in my tent. So then I ended up having a flood inside my tent anyway. <laughs> and I did that not once, but twice that night and the following morning. <sighs> Oh, yep. There's my human poop story. <laughs> That's one of those moments or stories that are so absurd as to be like, you go, this could only be real because nobody would, nobody could uh, write this scene, so to speak. No, no. And I, I don't, I still don't understand how I didn't smell it when I was picking them up and walking to my tent and spreading them out around my tent. But I didn't until I was in there preparing to cook dinner. <laughs> Talk about unappetizing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've um, I've only done the leaves to prevent splashback one other time, and I was very careful. 
after that incident. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. By yep. moving the leaves away, did that remove the smell? It did. Problem solved. Okay. Was was Lewis with with you at that still at that point? Yes, he was. Yeah. He uh, there's yes, he was. And he mocked me and for the rest of the time he was with me. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And there's so I have a a video of him like recording me cuz then like there's my tent exploded outside of my tent because of the flood. And there's this video of me, like very, very pathetic, like trying to wring out the water. And I'm like, this won't absorb anymore. And he's like, Ginge, you you have to wring it out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I I was going to say, like, I almost feel like it was sort of his responsibility to look out for you at that point. You weren't fully armed. (laughs) No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we had no, like looking back, it makes sense why I was acting the way I was acting because I was sick. I just didn't know it yet. I felt sick, but I thought I was just out of shape for Connecticut's mountains, quote unquote, but that wasn't the case. <laughs> you know how overnight you can lose all of your fitness. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Very plausible. Very plausible. It happens all the time. Oh, yeah. With your gear on that trail, what became your favorite piece of gear? Ooh, on the AT? On the AT. Um, probably my food bag or my stove. Why? I love my food bags. They carry my food for me. And then they hang from a tree to keep my food safe and to keep me safe from bears and other animals. And there's just such a practical thing to have. Like everybody should have a food bag. I now have a food bag in real life. It's just such a good piece of gear to have. Highly recommend a food bag. And my stove was a great comfort on those rainy cold days or days that I was sick to be able to have a hot meal afterwards. I may not have wanted to eat the meal, but just to have it and like hold my pot in my hands was really comforting. Oh, and I love my spork. Love my spork. I'm getting a sense that it's the food. The, the kitchen food stuff. Yeah, the whole kitchen I love. <laughs> now my favorite gear, piece of gear is probably my multi mat, which is like this little tiny mat that you unfold to sit on when you're eating lunch or whatever. Love my multi mat. So it's not it's not you're sleeping. It's not for sleeping. It's literally just for during the day to sit on and and what have you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Is it something different from a Z light, like a sit pad Z light type of thing, or it, it it's a different brand, and it's not the eggshell. It's just a very thin piece of um, it's similar material. I don't I refer to it as a styrofoam, but it's not styrofoam. Um, very thin and not eggshell, but it folds up into three like that one does. Do you remember the company? Multi-mat. Just it's literally multi-mat. Company. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, uh, when 
So my trail family, when we did the reunion hike last year, they all have one. And I was super jealous the entire time. And then when I came home and it had rained for most of our trip last year. And so my husband and I were going to New Zealand to go backpacking um, this last December and January. And so I ordered us one and it was cheaper to get the multi-map delivered from the UK than to buy Thermarest version. Really? Mm-hmm. Cause the multi-mat was on sale for like uh, one American dollar. And so all in all, it was like $25 with shipping. Damn. Yeah. It was okay. pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> what was your trail name? Ginger snap. Okay. And the story behind that is somehow kitchen and food related. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we were in Bly Gap, which is just over the North Carolina border. And we were camping with some people. And one of the guys, Kennedy, looked up and was like, hey, Ginger Snap. And that stuck. Um, I did always have, at that point, I had ging- like ginger chews that I carry with me. And I still carry them with me whenever I backpack or hike. And then I would have occasionally Ginger Snap cookies with me. And so... That stuck. It's not super exciting, but I love it. I wouldn't change it for anything. It is very random. Did you ever like ask him why? No, I didn't. <laughs> we were all just like, when he called me that, everybody kind of stopped and looked at me and was like, yeah, that works. And that, that, that's it. That's what happened. And then we continued to climb the tree in Bly Gap. <laughs> to climb the tree? Yeah, there's this really cool, I want to say it's an oak tree, and it's just an awesome tree. And so, like, we were all climbing up it and sitting in its limbs, and just, mm-hmm. we were camping there. And so, we just hung out in, in the tree for a while. Nice. So simple. <laughs> yeah. So wonderful. Yeah. No kidding. It, it does sort of remind me of the scene from Jurassic Park, though. I've never seen Jurassic Park. Oh. <laughs> it's actually, it's fun- funnily enough, it's literally one of the few movies that I saw opening night when it came out. Um, like oh, midnight cool. show type of thing. So I have, there's a special mm-hmm. place in my heart, even though it is a fun movie. Yeah. Or besides the fact that it's a fun movie. But there's a scene in it where they have, they basically climb into a tree and, and sleep for the night to escape the dinosaurs. Oh, cool. So. Oh, man, I wish we would have slept in the tree, although that wouldn't have worked. But that was the one and only night that I cowboy camped on the AT. Why? I'm not a fan of cowboy camping. I just don't care for it. There's the only place that I will cowboy camp is the summer camp that I worked at. That's the only, And I think it's just because I've spent so many years there that I know a lot of the camp. But I do not like it. I... I much prefer the piece of fabric that's as thick as my fingernail to keep me sane. <laughs> <laughs> and and I'll sleep without. Well, back then I had a big Agnes Fly Creek, and so there were nights where I'd sleep without the rain cover uh, or the fly on. But since then, I have converted to a Z-Pax tent, and that one you can't. It is what it is. Right. So. 
So what inspired, possessed you to cowboy camp that night? I think we were all just doing it. Nobody slept in a tent that night. I, I think it, I don't even know if there was really a discussion around it, but it was cool. Um, the stars were out. We saw shooting stars, saw satellites. It was really cool. And were you sleeping under the oak tree? No, we kind of, okay. I guess some people did, but where I was, I wasn't under it. I, I can almost picture that in my mind. Mm-hmm. Then that's, I, the, the tree in Bly Gap is in a lot of images. And when I was preparing for the AT, I would always see it, but I didn't realize where it was. And so when we left the Georgia, North Carolina border and hiked up to it, I like, kind of, I think you round a little bit of a corner, but I saw it and I lost it. I was like, oh my gosh, it's the tree. <laughs> it was a very iconic moment for me. Yeah. Do you go up and, and hug your tree? I probably did knowing me. <laughs> and there's also the, the trunk is kind of hollowed out so you can like sit in it. Mm. which is cool. And it's kind of like a tree bathtub, or at least it used to be. I don't know if it still is. What hiking have you done since then? I did the Teton Crush Trail in 2013. Which is where and what? Um, it is in Grand Teton National Park. Okay. And it's about 30 miles, 35 miles. And it goes along the Teton crest. I mean, it's not up in those three classic images that you see, but um, it's an absolutely beautiful trail and I highly recommend it. And then a lot of shorter backpacking trips that are either loops or um, mostly loops really, or an out and back, nothing quite to the extent of the AT. Do you want to do another longer through hike, even if it isn't as, say, as long as the AT? Maybe it's one of the shorter long trails? Oh, yeah. So I had originally planned to do the Uinta Highline Trail in Utah this summer, and I was going to do it the last week of August. And But then I had some things shift around that I wasn't able to do it. So I'm planning to potentially do that next summer or maybe – the Tahoe Rim Trail, or maybe the Long Trail in Vermont. I thought about doing the John Muir Trail, but I think I'd like to be able to bring my dog with. So mm-hmm. is it just become basically that your life is now sort of in a place where you can get back to the longer, the, the longer trails? For now, yes. So I work in education, and this past summer was the first summer that I've had off since 2013. And so, um, yeah, it is. I would love to do the CDT, but I just, there's so much that I want to do that I don't know that I'll get to it. What do you mean by that you'll get to it? Like in the short term Uh, or just ever? (laughs) Uh, maybe both. Okay. Like I want to travel. We want to have kids. We like, I'm always thinking about going back to school for a doctorate. Like there's all of these things that are, and then all of these other trails that I want to hike. So we'll see. Maybe one day. (laughs) The, the pull of the trail is a real thing Uh, for you. It's so real. And I live close to the CDT. And so 
I frequently get out and backpack on it and I'm just like, dang it. I know, I know this feeling and I know it doesn't go away until I do it. And so we'll see. We'll see. I don't know. I've been keeping it at bay for like two years now. And so we'll see what happens. (laughs) I'm, I'm wondering if a shorter through hike will satisfy me because for me, it really is about challenging myself and then also about the simplicity and you can get those two things in a shorter through hike. Very true. You, now you mentioned that you were down in, I think you said New Zealand. Yes. Yeah. We went on our honeymoon to New Zealand. So we were there for seven weeks and we backpacked and hiked the southern end of the North Island. And then we got to as much as we could on the South Island. Were you, were you just doing like random trails, that kind of thing or? Yeah. Okay. We had, um, we did, yeah, we just did random backpacking excursions that we, some of them we didn't learn about till we were there. And then other ones we had planned. So you mm-hmm. brought your equipment with you, I'm assuming. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Were the hikes multi-day yep. at all? Yes. Yeah. They're, um, most of them, maybe we were about 50-50 multi-day and just single night and okay. maybe, maybe a third of single night, multi-day car camping, beach one. So say that again, you said multi-day car camping? Yeah. So we would do like, it was split evenly between multi-day backpacking, single night backpacking, and then car camping. Got it. Okay. Besides for your mat, like what is, what is your gear sort of evolved to at this point? Oh, it's totally different now. It's really cool. Being a gear nerd, I love the transition that it's gone through. So the only things that I still have that are the same from my through hike is my stove And then after my water purifier broke, I bought a gravity filter. And so I still use that one. Uh, But now we have a Z-Pax tent. I've shed a lot of weight. Um, I'm down to like 13, 15 pounds as my base weight, which I realize to some people is very heavy. (laughs) But um, it works for me. And it's a perfect combination of uncomfortable with comfortable. What does that mean exactly? I like it. Just with like, I like to carry a journal when I backpack. I'm not going to type out my journal entries on my phone. And so that's definitely a luxury item that very clearly is not light. But then I will, like I transitioned to a quilt. And part of the reason I did that is because it was lighter. But now I'm obsessed with my quilt. I love it. It's like a party for my body. It's so comfortable. <laughs> okay. First things first, who manufactured the quilt? Uh, enlightened equipment. Okay. And then yeah. secondly, explain this party for your body. It's so soft and comfortable and you just get in and it's like, all right, I can go to sleep with this cocoon wrapped around my body. But then if you get hot, you just put a leg out. You can't do that in a sleeping bag. <laughs> And I was pretty skeptical at switching from a traditional bag to a quilt. But the guys in my trail family convinced me. They were like, 
you'll love it. It's great. Trust us. And I did. And I'm so glad I did. How cold have you taken it to? Uh, low 20s. And it still kept you warm? You didn't miss having something around yes. your head? Nope. Well, so I sleep curled up. Like my, my legs are typically bent. And so I can pull it over my head and it, and it fits. So basically you just cocoon underneath it. Oh yeah. Like completely Mm -hmm. underneath it. Yeah. And then I don't, I don't like having, it comes with straps that you can wrap around your sleeping pad. I don't do that. I fully cocoon myself in it. What does that mean? So like it's wrapped underneath me, Ah. but not necessarily wrapped underneath the the sleeping pad. Got it. Okay. Mm -hmm. That actually makes a lot of sense when you say that it keeps you so Mm -hmm. warm Mm -hmm. because you're basically encased. Oh yeah. It's so comfortable. I take it you don't move very much when you sleep? No, I do. But it doesn't, um, the way... I think I just have it so tight around me that it doesn't really come out. Ah, okay. If that makes sense. I mean, sometimes it does, but it's never, I haven't woken up cold with it. Okay. So. I know the, the, the debate of uh sleeping bag versus quilt is a, uh, is an yeah. ongoing one. <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah. Um, circling back to the Teton crest trail. Yeah, you had there, you had made a mention that you had gotten altitude sickness. Yes, I did. Uh, that was wild. Coming from at that point, I still didn't live. So I live in Montana now. And so at that point, I didn't live at any kind of real elevation. And so we were hiking and it almost was like, I was drunk without drinking alcohol. (laughs) It was, it was like, I got really giddy, but then I also couldn't really breathe because I, I, I couldn't, I didn't feel like I could breathe and then lost my appetite. And, um, it was not very pleasant to be honest. And it did subside. Like once we came down back into Jackson, the elevation must have been low enough at that point that I, I, I recovered and I definitely didn't have an appetite for a day or two after, but there were no serious medical issues that happened as a result of it. It just made hiking really hard. How long were you hiking with that feeling or with that? Uh, three days. Oh, so it hit you pretty immediately once you got on trail. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. Like within, um, when we got to the top, uh, and I don't remember the name of the mountain, when we got to the top of this very specific mountain, I thought I was breathing through a straw. That's what it felt like. Yeah. But then as you leave that area and kind of the elevation drops a little bit. And so it, it got a little bit better, but it was, it was a rough couple of days for sure. Did, do you think that that was very much related to not acclimating to it? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. The, and I had done a little bit of research. And so 
I thought that because we had stopped in Cheyenne, Wyoming on our way out. And then from there, we stopped in Jackson for a day or two. And I thought that that would be enough because those are higher than Pennsylvania's altitude. But I was wrong. (laughs) Apparently. (laughs) Yeah. And like, technically, what you're supposed to do is like hike up and then come down and then hike up and then come down. And I didn't do that. Right. I, when, with you saying that, it, it reminds me of watching the documentaries on hikers doing Everest, where they go up, mm-hmm. stay for, you know, however much, come down, go up, down, up, down to do what you're talking about. Yeah. It, it sort yep. of feels like your, your tale of trail is about um, sickness and uh, lack of appetite. <laughs> It is, but I also, like, I had hiker hunger, like you would not believe. I mean, once I finally did pre-Lyme disease, and then once I got my appetite back, I was pretty ravenous. At the end, I had two food bags and (laughs) still had food that was overflowing from them. (sighs) You were serious about your food bags. Yeah. And it's still, and it doesn't take much now for my hiker hunger to come back. Like if I'm on trail for like three days at the start of the fourth day, it, it'll, it'll start to come back. That is fast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What is your favorite meal out there? Oh, mac and cheese with dehydrated kale. With dehydrated kale, is what you said? Well, it rehydrates. Yeah, oh, you're yeah. not, right, I'm right. not carrying. Mm-hmm. Hands down, I could eat that meal every single night on trail. I love it. Occasionally, I would add tuna fish to it, but just mac and cheese with kale. Do you ever eat that off trail? Um, Not really. No. I mean, I eat them. I don't typically put them together when I eat them off trail. <laughs> Because it doesn't sound good or just uh no, I just I don't I don't know why I don't. <laughs> um typically off trail if I'm eating mac and cheese, it's just like plain mac and cheese and that's it. And it's usually because I don't feel like cooking dinner or because I haven't gone grocery shopping yet. <laughs> it's like being back in college again. Oh, yeah. Uh Uh-huh. And the reason we keep mac and cheese in the cupboard all the time is for backpacking. And so it gets pulled from the backpacking reserve. (laughs) (laughs) How did doing the AT in 2012 and then, you know, you're continuing to hike and and that kind of stuff, how has that changed or, or affected your life, do you think? I think, well, it's definitely been a positive impact. And I, it, physically speaking, it's a lifetime activity. Like even when I'm 70, I can still go hike provided my legs still function. And mentally, it gives me a space that I can process whatever's going on in life. And it also allows me to open up space mentally to like think about new things that I want to do or that I want to implement into my life or in my work life. And so I, and 
I think it, it, it's a space that I can constantly evolve in or like keep evolving in that transfers over to non-trail life. What do you mean? Um, like when I'm pretty decisive when I backpack and so there's not a lot of like, well, I don't know. I don't know, but I can take that from backpacking and implement it into everyday life of like, okay, I'm going to be more decisive. Like if I can do it in this area of my life, I can also do it everywhere else. And it's very calming for me. Very, very calming. Like all of the chatter stops physically. Like I can push myself however far I want to that day. So it doesn't, and that can change. It doesn't always have to be far or long. Um, And so it's just this really positive space for self-growth. Nice. Do you find that you go to the trail when you need to work through things sometimes? All the time. All the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, it is my favorite coping mechanism. And so much healthier for you. Yeah. And it's my best coping mechanism too. What meaning that you see the most result from doing it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then the, the smell of fur in pine trees Mm. is very calming to me. Like it just immediately relaxes me. And, and so there's that aspect too, of like, when I'm breathing in that air, I can just stop and be like, all right, everything's good. It's all good. Like whatever's going on right now, you can get through it. And whatever, whatever is happening while you're here, you can come up with like a plan of action or like you can just relax. Whatever needs to happen can happen. Have you ever thought of getting the scent of fur and pine? I have. And I do have like an essential oil that's called forest and it has those smells in it, but it's not the same. It's still <laughs> calm. It's still very calming, but it's not it's not the same. And there was this one specific candle that smelled like a Doug fur, but I think they've discontinued it because I can't find it anymore. And when you blow it out, it smells disgusting. So that like ruined the whole thing. (laughs) There's nothing quite like, even with the smell aside, there's nothing quite like standing in the middle of the forest and looking up and seeing the trees. Mm -mm, Nope. And it's even better in the wintertime when I'm cross-country skiing and I stop and look around because you have that smell, but there's this beautiful white snow on the trees. It's very peaceful. Well, and I also find in the snow like that, that the snow dampens sound. It's, it's, it's a Mm -hmm. very different feeling of the world almost feels like it's cocooning you, I guess. Yeah. It's so quiet. You're going there right now, aren't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> and it's especially on my mind more lately because winter is coming and so it, i'm getting excited for it yeah hmm. yeah we don't get many winters down in uh, la but anyway <laughs> oh i'm sorry 
<laughs> when you were a child, did you have winter? Yeah, I'm up. Uh, I was uh, born and raised up in Washington State, up in the eastern Cascade Mountains. Oh, so, yeah. beautiful. We definitely had winter snow. We would we would used to, we used to um, we had forty acres, so we used to like for Christmas and stuff like that. As opposed to going out and getting a tree, we would go out and cut some uh, limbs off, and mm-hmm. then our house was strangely enough, our house was was wood, and there was a big uh, uh, I don't even know what it's called, but it's essentially a, a tree that has all of the bark and stuff like that peeled off of it. That was one of the supporting beams through the middle of the mm-hmm. house and so the the bur- the boughs would be nailed up on that as to make the tree oh cool and uh that sounds really beautiful yeah and it would do the same thing as like a, a christmas tree like in terms of the smell of it throughout the house the smell of the fur and mm-hmm. the throughout the house do you miss winter mhm i do miss winter <laughs> i do but i actually miss fall more the leaves changing color mm. mm-hmm. yeah i agree i don't in montana we don't get much of that in the way that pennsylvania does and every fall i miss it the the leaves changing color and the air getting crisp mm-hmm. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna yeah. wax poetic about this i i can tell <laughs> 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 it's, but it's but it is kind of that time of the year. Like we're getting it is close. Mm-hmm. It's very exciting. I love it. <laughs> is there anything that we haven't talked about that we should? Um, one more thing. The AT is the reason I'm not a vegetarian anymore. Oh, to tell. There was this. So we walked up onto some trail magic in Southern North Carolina and this cute little 70 year old woman came up to me and gave me a plate of food. She had uh, saw us coming and she prepared most of our plates of food. And so she gave me mine. And at that point I was a vegetarian, but there was a hot dog on it. And then after she gave me her plate, my plate, she hugged me and was like, tell your mama, you've been hugged by a mama today. And I just couldn't tell her that I was a vegetarian. I couldn't do it. And so I ate the hot dog. And after that, I started craving meat. <laughs> and so I, and I had been a pescatarian before that. And, um, and then after the trail ended, I started eating meat. And then on Thanksgiving, I told my family I was a meat eater again. <laughs> and what was their response? They couldn't believe it. They were like, no, 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 no. And then I was eating the skin of the turkey and they were like, all right, I guess you're, <laughs> you're, guess you're a carnivore again. <laughs> yeah. And now I haven't been a vegetarian since. We <laughs> eat vegetarian meals, but I'm not a... Yep. <laughs> was that some of your favorite trail magic? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Either that and the couple that picked us up in Virginia... And, um, their both of their guest bedrooms had king size beds. And so Lou and I both had a king size bed. They did our laundry. And then for breakfast, they fed us salmon with cheese and avocado and toast. That sounds pretty nice. Uh, yeah, it was really nice. <laughs> it was so nice. <laughs> 
Do you remember what their first names were? I don't. I do know that the guy was going to have a show on Animal Planet, and but I don't think the show ever came out. It had something to do. He went to Africa a lot and worked with lions, and so um, it was going to be some lion show. But I never saw it, and I always mm-hmm. looked. I could. I can picture him. He had red hair. Well, a shout out to mm-hmm. them, regardless. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wherever they are <laughs> in the world right now. <laughs> yeah. Where can people find you if they want to follow your continuing adventures or have questions for you? Uh, Instagram would be best. And my handle is Sam, S-A-M, Joe, J-O, doll, D-A-L. And it's all one word, all lowercase. Perfect. Mm -hmm. What is your most favorite memory of the trail trails 100 mile wilderness it was incredible at least that's my favorite memory from the at Mm -hmm. um definitely the 100 mile wilderness was beautiful we had great weather in 2012 through it and it was just good group of people fun just loads of fun do you ever want to go back and do it Again, or is there just, again, so many trails, so little time? I don't know that I would ever read through Hike the AT. Um, I def- every time I go home, I make sure to step foot on it and go for a day hike. But there's other trails that I would like to experience before I start redoing a 2,000-mile a, a trail. Yeah, I don't, I don't foresee it happening. I have considered for eight years now getting an AT tattoo just to remind myself. And it's not about the fact that like I did it, but more of like life is a process and you can learn from it or not. The option is yours. Cause that's what a lot of the AT was. And so I've considered getting a very small AT tattoo, but I still haven't, brought myself to make the appointment with a tattoo artist and just Why? keep thinking about it. Why? Um, I don't know. I, I'm a little nervous because I would get it on my foot and I hear that that's very painful. And so that's really what, like, I don't know if I want to subject myself to that kind of pain. <laughs> do you, you do see how ironic that is, right? <laughs> Yes. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. And you're also not the first person to laugh at me because I, I, that's what I tell people. And they're like, really? (sighs) Yep. A little old pain for maybe an hour, a couple of hours. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I, you will get it at some point. <laughs> at some point you will, you will decide you need it. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think the time is approaching because I've started researching tattoo artists, so mm. which I had never done before. So we're definitely getting closer to it actually happening. Well, I hope you, I hope you post it a picture of it when you, when it happens. <laughs> yes. We'll see. 
<laughs> no commitment yet, but yeah. <laughs> I actually discovered your podcast because of your interview with Goat. Well, now he's Laser Goat, but with Goat, um, I had picked him up on the AT in 2014. Yeah, he threw I can oh, really? with his. Yeah, and he stayed at my house with two other guys for like three days. And then once I finished the school year, I hopped on trail with them for like 30 miles. Amazing. Yeah. And when he posted the, um, the, the podcast to his Instagram, I saw it and I was like, Oh, let me listen to this. And then I was hooked. So I've listened (laughs) to every episode since then. Sweet. (laughs) Yeah. I love it. So keep up the good work. You are, you do a phenomenal job. Oh, thank you. So I love the stories and it also puts it in perspective that like it, at least for me, a lot of people when they through hike had something mildly traumatic or traumatic happened to them beforehand that they like healed from on the trail. Yeah. And, and I also fall into that category. And so it's, it's nice to, because for a very long time, I didn't, I didn't think that was the case, but through listening to the podcast, just like that people, I mean, I knew people were healing on the trail, but I didn't quite realize how many people have like been in really shitty relationships and then they threw hike and things, they like gain perspective for themselves. So not that that's like a qualifier to do a through hike, but no, but I think that it is a very valid point that a lot of people go to the through hike, go to a through hike because they're escaping something or they're, they're trying to leave something or, mm-hmm. or facilitate yeah. a change or, or something like that. Mm-hmm. And for me, I didn't even realize it until like six months post trail. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think subconsciously I knew it, but like out loud or thinking it, I didn't, I didn't put it together till way after I was done. Did you like, while you were on trail, did you recognize that you were processing it? Yeah, I did. There were a couple instances that I was like, Oh yeah, that's right. I am awesome. (laughs) Not in a cocky way, like not, not in like, like somebody would have just given me some like really nonchalant compliment and it like the light bulb went on and then I'd like hike for three or four days and then I'd be like, Oh yeah. Like give yourself that, that pat on the back. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'd like put it together. Why I, why it resonated, I guess would be the best way to say it. Meaning why that compliment or whatever landed? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or uh, made such an impression, I should say. Yeah. Yeah. Because they really were like light bulb moments. What do you think your biggest light bulb moment was while you were out there? That I'm not selfish. Is that a message that you had been hearing? <laughs> Yeah. Yes. 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 It had been. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. That I'm not selfish. I mean, I guess through hiking is kind of selfish because like you're doing this thing that no one else is doing within your community typically. But 
like as a person, I am not selfish. I care for others. Like I do things that I am not the definition of selfish. How long did that take to sink in? (laughs) Has it sunk in? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, no, it has now. Um, I think the AT really put it into perspective. And then I'd say maybe like six months to a year after that, it was like solidified. When you say solidified, meaning? Like a foundational belief. Like it's, it's, or I guess it's no longer a foundational belief depending on the way. Like I am not selfish is a foundational belief. What was that moment six months or, or what have you after the trail where it was that grand aha moment where it was that, Oh, I don't know if there was one off trail. I think it was just like a lot of little things, but like on trail it, um, I mean, Lewis and I took care of each other and, and through, cause while we were on trail, his grandfather passed away and he sprained an ankle and there was a lot of like care from me in those situations. And so there were things like that, or when, if like a member of the trail family needed food, like I would give them food or like positive words of encouragement, things like that, that just added up that I was like, wait a minute typically selfish people wouldn't Mm -hmm. do these things or like little things that people would say to me. And I don't know. I can't remember any like specific examples of that, but I think the biggest example and not necessarily of selfish, but like I had just gotten out of the shower and over Maine and I'm going through my, my mail drop and I look up and one of, he was maybe forties, late thirties, forties hiker um, FM, he looks at me and he was like, ginger snap, you have beautiful hair. And that was one of those moments. I was like, you know what? I do. Thanks FM. And he has no idea that that was like a light bulb moment for me. He has no clue, but him saying that was like, damn straight. (laughs) I do. I mean, (laughs) it's a hot mess right now because I just got out of the shower, but like, yeah, I do. And that wasn't a message that I had been receiving for like eight years prior to that. So it's crazy how, like you were saying, like he made this comment, he, he saw you, he, he spoke that message, which was an affirming message, but he spoke that Mm -hmm. message, Mm -hmm. but we'll never have any idea of the impact of it. And that happens so many times so often. Yeah. Yeah. And if I brought my Facebook back, cause it's, I have it deactivated right now. So if I reactivated it, I could message him and tell him, which I probably should at some point send him that message of like, Hey, just so you know, thank you. You did X for me and explain it a little bit. But, and I wonder, he probably has an Instagram too, that I could reach out on, but yep. It's so little things like that. Nobody knows the impact that they have on somebody else through small everyday interactions. Amen. It, mm-hmm. It's interesting like that this conversation has evolved to that place because I realize yeah. I was having a conversation with somebody the other day and I don't know that I can necessarily pinpoint why, but 
for me, what has become more important and, and the podcast has become an, an outlet for that is representation is mm. people seeing themselves reflected is having people who, I mean, cause so many of us are basically saying, Oh, I can't do that because, or I don't see myself there mm-hmm. because I don't see anybody else who looks like me or is like me or, you know, whatever the different definitions you want to, you want to go into. And yeah, using the podcast to allow people to tell their stories that hopefully resonate with other people, um, both who've obviously done it before, but also resonate with people who have never done it, but would like to, and think that, that it's not for Mm -hmm. them because of X. Yeah. You're in a really cool position that you, you can provide that for people, which is awesome. Mm -hmm. That's my last trail journal entry. The day I summoned Katahdin, there's a paragraph in there that talks about how I want to be a wellness coordinator for a school because then I can help individual teachers, but also help a community. And I had forgotten that I wrote that. And when I reread it, I am now a wellness coordinator Hmm. for a school. Nice. And so it's like, I think that they're like you taking this time you may not see the results right away, but I bet you will. Because yeah. the trail exactly. survives. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> and so this pandemic provided you the time to like, not the, I mean, you were doing this pre-pandemic, right? I, I was, I was doing it, but I wasn't, I was serious about it, but I wasn't serious about it. You know what I mean? Like I wanted it, mm-hmm. yeah, but I wasn't focused on ma- just making it happen. Yeah. Yeah. And now you have all of these, like you've said that it's given you this opportunity. And so the one opportunity leads to yeah. another is what I'm trying to say. It has a ripple effect. Speak a little louder. And links for Sam's gear can be found on our website at hiking-through.com. Special thanks to Sam for sharing her stories from the trail and Maya Wynn for the use of the song Try Again. On next week's episode, I'll be talking with Ryan Bunting, known on trail as Constantine. Once the through-hiking bug bit him, it bit him hard. And in this episode, we explore the many trails on which his feet have taken him. I hope that this conversation, these conversations, inspire you to get out there and have a few hiker trash moments of your own. I'll see you on the trail. Find my way. Woo-hoo.